All right, good morning. How is everybody? Good. Glad that you're here. And thanks for those of you who are joining us online. As Carol said, my name is Fred. I am the lead pastor here. And here's what I hope happens today. Um, I say this uh, quite often because I believe it. This is truly what I want to see happen today. And it's this, that I hope today uh, inspires you to walk in more faith and trust with Jesus uh, today than you had yesterday. And even better, I hope it inspires you to walk in more faith and trust with Jesus tomorrow than you had today. And I'll tell you, if that's what you want, then you have found your people. We really are a church for you, no matter who you are, or if you're joining us online, no matter where you are. And so if you have your Bibles, what I want you to do is open them up to the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. We're going to be covering chapters 5 through 6 today. We're also going to be taking communion And so if you're in person and you didn't grab the communion elements on the way in, if you're a follower of Jesus, we would love for you to take communion with us. And if you're joining us online, uh, hit pause real quick, go grab juice, crackers, bread, wine, uh, and and hit play whenever you're ready and and you can follow along with us at home. Now, uh, as you're turning there, let let me ask you a question. Anybody tired lately? Like, I mean, like, a new term. Anybody like pandemic tired lately, right? Because there's a whole new level of tired that we have uh, that we didn't have before. And, and it's a type of tired that uh, taking a nap, it might help, but it doesn't fix. It's a type of tired uh, that uh, even taking a vacation doesn't seem to fix. It's just a whole new kind of tired. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're tired of the news. You're tired. Uh, you're tired of this 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 constant change we live in, right? Like anybody experiencing that, where where you just really have no idea what's gonna what tomorrow's gonna be like, which is a biblical place to be, but that doesn't change the fact that it's exhausting, right? Anybody want life to get back to normal, right? If you're, like, if you're in here and you want a life to get back to normal, can you give me an amen so I know that you're with us? Yes. If you're online, you can do the little praise hands, right? So we know that, that, that you're with us, right? We want to get life back to normal. Thank you, Ellie. She wants life to get back to normal, doesn't she? Well, they also have a new baby in the house, so life will never be normal for her again. But that's my point. Some, a wise woman once told me this. She said, normal is just a setting on the dryer. Right? Let's let that sink in. Because she told me that decades ago. Which means normal wasn't normal before the pandemic. And guess what? Normal isn't going to be normal after the pandemic either. Normal really is just a setting on the dryer. And so if that's true, which life has taught me that it pretty much is, what do we do? Do we, do, we, do we throw our masks off and act like the pandemic never happened and try and get back to, to, to what we had? Or do we hunker down in our homes out of fear and, 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 and not want to be around each other? See, I don't think either one of those is the appropriate response. I actually think as we move forward that I've got some really, really good news But as we move forward, the answer to what does life look like moving forward isn't found in hunkering down and isn't found in acting like the pandemic didn't happen. That that the, 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 the way we move forward is this, is answering this question. What is God stirring in you? 
It's the question of this whole series of rebuilders. What is God stirring in you? Because here's, here's why I, I, I mean by this question. Here's what I mean by this question. Kids, we've got kids in the room today. Do you know that God has something? Actually, God has many things for you to do with him. And those things that God is asking you to do with him are to help other people out. They're ways to help other people. Kids, that's, that, that's, that's what God is stirring in you. Students, do you know that God has a really good and really big plan for you? And I'm not kidding, students, when I say that what God is stirring in you is nothing less than making the world a better place. Like it's that, it's that big and it's that impactful. You see, church, God is inviting us to rebuild with him. To, to, and, and that rebuilding can happen in any area of our lives, in every area of our lives. It can happen in your career. It can happen in your job, in your workplace, that God is asking you, uh, stirring something there for you to do with him. It can, it can happen in your, in your relationships. It can happen in your schools. It can happen in our city. It can happen in our nation. It can even, even be something that's big enough uh, that it does impact the world. You see, I don't think God has an old normal that he wants us to return to. I think that is done. I think we are all different people because of what we've gone through. I think we're a different church because of what we've gone through, which means I think God has something even better and something brand new for us that he wants us to rebuild with him. And if you believe that, then today's big idea from chapters four and five, from chapters five and six of Ezra is critically important because here's what we're going to see. I gave you a trailer of it last week. Here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that God finishes what God starts. That's what we're going to see. Because as, as, let me tell you what happens as chapter 5 of Ezra starts. Last week, we ended chapter 4, uh, where we saw the, the nation of Israel build an altar, and they worship there, and uh, they, they, they had a day of fasting, and they had this time of feasting, and it was worship, and there was, there was joy, and there was weeping all at the same time. Y'all remember that? And then the work stopped. Because there was, there was accusation against them and, and the person who was king at the time ordered the work to stop. Well, now we're going to see this work pick up again. And guess what? Between chapters 4 and chapter 5, 15 years have passed. So for 15 years, there's been an altar that's been built and there's been the foundation of the temple that's laid and nothing else has happened. Well, let's look at Ezra chapter five and see where we pick up 15 years later. It says, now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Now, let me stop there because you, you get introduced to a couple of guys and these guys are prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. Now, a prophet was a really unique role in the nation of Israel because in the Old Testament, what a prophet would do is they would hear the voice of God for the nation of Israel. And sometimes they would speak words of encouragement and sometimes they would speak words of conviction, but they would start off and they would say, thus says the Lord, which means the people better listen. Right, Because this is the voice of God coming to them. And there's actually a verse that, that if there were false prophets, they were to be killed. Like it was a very precious role for the nation of Israel. And when a prophet spoke, 
it was as if you were reading the Bible. It was that heavy and that true and that real. And that, and that, and that real. And so God would speak to them. Now, what did these two guys say? What did Haggai and Zechariah say to the people that were, that were the rebuilders of the, of the nation of Israel? Well, we know because they were kind enough to write it down. Listen to this and I'll read you uh, the words of, of, ha- of Haggai first. Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, listen to this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, right? So this is the prophet saying, all right, y'all listen up. He said, these people uh, say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet. Uh, the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while, the, while this house lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You you clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. That's what Haggai told them. As he said, listen, you've been building your houses. Now it's time to build the house of God. Zechariah says this, and I have this one up on the, up on the slide. Zechariah says this in Zechariah 1, 3, the other prophet. He said, therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts. Remember, that's the prophet's way to say, listen up. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And so through them, we see what's happened in that 15 years. We see that the nation of Israel has built their homes and they've grown somewhat comfortable. But you know what else they've grown? They've grown tired. You know why? Because all of their work isn't producing what it used to produce. Right? Yes, they have paneled houses, which means they're places of comfort, but their crops aren't producing what the crops used to produce The money they make falls into bag with holes, which means the money they make isn't doing what it used to do. Anybody feel that way? Like the stuff that you're doing isn't producing the outcome that it used to produce. If so, then you can relate to this nation of Israel because they've built their houses, but now these prophets show up and say, yes, you've built houses. That's fine and good. But now it's time to get back to rebuilding the house of God. Look at verse 2. Back in, back in Ezra, let me turn back there. In verse 2, it says this. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shethel, and Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. All right, so here's what's interesting. Now, remember, Zerubbabel was the leader of the nation of Israel at this time. He was the one that was, that was, that was leading the way to rebuild the, the temple and to rebuild Jerusalem. But the same prophets that were telling them that it's time to rebuild, we see in this verse, are also rebuilding along with them. They're not just saying the words of God, they're doing the words of God with the people, which I think is, is critically important because, because they didn't just speak and leave, they did the work as well. And so why did the nation start rebuilding again? Because they needed someone to motivate them. God sent someone to speak the words of God to them. They needed someone to light a fire under them. Right? They needed someone to say, okay, now it's time. And this week's addition to what we're putting behind me, because I keep adding tools back here for rebuilding, is matches. 
right? And I went ahead and got the weatherproof emergency camping matches because I figured we need more than just the, the regular uh, diamond uh, wood matches, right? We need the intense ones. Because why? Because here's why. Because we all need fire starters, don't we? We all need someone in our life to tell us that what you're doing is fine and good, but God has got something better. And when you step into what God is stirring you to do, when you step into what God is calling you to do, there is a level of fulfillment and joy there that you can't experience doing what you're doing. Now, a match is a great picture of this because a match is a little fire that's used to start a big fire, right? A match is a little fire that's used to start a big fire. And a fire starter is a person who reminds you of what God has already said. They're the little fire to start God's big fire in your life. And just like Jesus, we talked about in the first sermon in this series where Jesus is cheering Stephen on as he, as he shares the gospel literally until his last breath. A fire starter is a person who cheers you on as you, as you follow what God is starting in you. A fire starter reminds you that the comfort of your own homes is, is good but what's better is what God has called you to. And what God has called us all to, not just you individually, but all of us, is he's called us to something that's bigger, even bigger than this pandemic. He's called us to something that's better. He's called us to something that's messier. He's called us to something that's harder, right? And he's called us to something that's a whole lot more beautiful too. You see, when we, when we have a fire starter, it lights this fire under you and me to do what God has been stirring in us to do. And so let me ask you, do you feel like you need a fire starter in your life lately? Do you feel like you need someone to remind you of what God has asked you to do? Well, these prophets show us that God's work isn't just inspired by words, but that God's work is inspired by God's work, that the work of God's people is what inspires others to work with God. And so here's what I want to do, which, which, you know, is a little ironic because I'm the guy up here sharing words, right? Is I'm acknowledging that these words only do so much. There's something else. And so I'm wondering if we all need that kind of fire starter today. I'm wondering if we need some inspiration to leave what is behind us behind us and to look ahead to what God is stirring in us and to walk and to step into that. So what I want to do is I want to mention some fire starters to you that I have seen in and through this church. And much like, much like the, 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 this book, Ezra and Nehemiah is full of names, I'm going to tell you some names. Only these names we know and I can actually pronounce, right? Which is much different than the names we see in the book of Ezra. Because these people have not only worked, they have volunteered countless number of hours so that we can come back and worship God together, which is huge. So if you need some inspiration to leave comfort behind you, to leave this pandemic behind you, to leave your idea of normal behind you, let's look at them. As far as our staff goes, we have got Carol and Megan Meadows over Fellowship Kids. You saw Carol this morning doing announcements. Her and Megan lead Fellowship Kids and, and FK Junior 
Um, and, and, and if you've been with Fellowship Kids during the pandemic, you know that they did FK Zoom and, and Megan did the, the preschool uh, Zoom party on, on Mondays for kids. The amount of work that they've done to get Fellowship Kids up and running again and to open preschool and, and the work to even think about opening another room in the preschool and to expand Fellowship Kids and to expand church from one service to two is huge. Amy Hinch. She's the person that's behind the scenes that makes sure everything in here is safe and clean and that everybody checks in and that all of y'all are wearing masks and all this stuff. Like she is the behind the scenes person that has put in countless hours for us to be able to open this building up again, not just for Sundays, but for other organizations to be able to use this building again too, which is one of our visions is that this building is used by the community more than it's used by us. And she's been working hard to make sure that happens. Andrew Neighbor, our, our student ministry director, y'all, leading student ministry has never been as complicated as it is now. And he is doing a faithful job of, of, of leading your students and his volunteers. He's got, he's got Gary Smith and Reagan Story and Austin Jones, and they serve our students weekly. All of these, all of us are paid to do that, right? That's our job. Let me mention some people who are volunteers, who are giving of their time so much that when we have our staff Christmas party, they might just get invited, right? Adam Bennett, y'all, this man has been here every Sunday, literally for the past nine months, just to make sure we can reach people that can't join us in person. He has transitioned us from from being in person to being virtual. He was here in our very first meeting the day after we decided we had to shut down in-person services to help us figure out what it means moving forward. If you need inspiration, look at him and look at what he's doing. Not only that, he's training other people. He's training Mark Brandt and Bill Meisner and Chris Pettit to do what he does. Beth Coggins is, is right there beside of him. Beth Coggins is a school teacher. So, so not only does she have all of that, she has spent a day off on top of all the other stuff that she's done for us. She spent a day off carpeting a stairwell in the back that none of y'all will see, but you'll hear it if it's not carpeted. That's what she did just to create an environment for the gospel to go out, right? And she's training Noah Hinch, who's a student who runs slides up there. So kids, when I talk about God stirring and asking for, and Carol's asking to serve, please tune us out because it involves you too. Like, like Noah's up there, not today, but he, he gets up there and he runs all the slides and the video and stuff. And, and John Perry's up there this week. Sound, we've got, we've got Shea Smith and, and Joshua Wilcox and, and my son, Seth Baker. And they run sound for the in-person service and virtual service. Y'all, they are here five to six hours every Sunday to, to make sure y'all can hear us and to make sure the people watching online can hear. And speaking of sound, we've got, we've got Cam Spear and Kara and Andrew and David Koontz that have been carrying our, our, our music ministry these past months. And then we've got Rachel Smith, who you will never see because her volunteer hours are spent scheduling all of that. Like, and that's not it. Like, I, I don't even have time to go into all of our online hosts, the people that, that, that make sure that our online worship environment is an engaging environment and not just content that's going out, but an opportunity to connect. 
We've got a prayer team. We've got greeters. We've got ushers. We've got people that clean up after us to make sure this place is sanitized. We've got deacons who, who serve and lead servants. We've got elders who oversee the ministries of this church. We've got volunteers and fellowship kids and, and, and FK Jr. And they all give their time on a regular and consistent basis to serve the church, to be a part of what God is stirring not just in them, but what God is stirring in us. You see, their rebuilding with God inspires me to do the same and to rebuild with God. And I hope you'll allow it to inspire you as well and let them be your fire starter. Well, if you remember from last week, every holy proposition faces what? Unholy opposition. And so now these prophets have, have, have given this, this holy proposition. Y'all, it's time to get back to the work of God. It's time to leave your homes and get back to the work of God. That's a holy proposition. Guess what's going to happen next? An unholy opposition. Look at verse 3. It says, at, at the same time, so, so while the prophets are speaking and working, at the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Banzani, see what I mean? Like, Shay, let's just call him Shay. And their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? And they also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? So now then, this might have just been a regular inquiry. Because remember, the, the king at the time said, y'all need to stop. And so they might be seeing this work and being like, hey, y'all aren't following orders. Why, why not? Who's, who's doing this work? And so it might have been just some regular inquiry, not some huge plan to undermine the work of God. But it's still opposition because, because look at their response in verse 5. Verse 5, it says, so this is, this is their response. But the eyes of their God were on the elders of the Jews, and, did, and they did not stop them until a report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by the letter concerning it. And so, so the question is as asked of the elders, who started this work? And this guy, Tatanai, sent a letter to Darius the king, the current ruler of the Persian Empire that was over the nation of Israel, to find out, hey, can these guys be doing what they're doing? Can they, can they rebuilding? And in this letter, we get to see how the elders answered. And it was much different than they would have answered 15 years ago because, because they had this fire starter. They had God stirring in them. And so if you will, skip down to verse 10 because I'm going to skip over all those names being read because it is torture, all right? Look at verse 10, and we pick up in the letter that was written, and this is the elder's response. It says, We also asked them their names for your information, that we might write down the names of their leaders. And this was their reply to us. So, so Tatanai is telling King Darius, this is what those guys said. And this was their reply to us. We are the servants of God, of the God of heaven and earth. Right? And so they say... Listen, yeah, 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 we know this letter is going to Darius, but we serve a different king. We are the servants of God of heaven and earth. Because remember, the king of the Persian Empire considered himself to be a god. 
right? That was his position. Not only was he king, but he was a god. And yet we see that the identity of these rebuilders, it's not based in the identity of this Persian king, that a rebuilder's identity is rooted in their relationship with God, right? A rebuilder's identity is is rooted in his relationship with God. A rebuilder's identity is rooted in her relationship with God. You see, they understood that they are God's people doing God's work. And God began this work, and now God's going to finish it. And they understood that their work is God's work. They didn't see a differentiation between the two. That what God is stirring in you, and this is why this is important, the thing that God is stirring in you to do, whatever that is, that is God's work in you and through you. And, and this work is, is, is rooted in your relationship with God, which is why that whatever God is stirring in you can be in your career, can be in your, in your family, it can be with your friends, it, it, it can be whether you're an adult, a kid, or a student, it can be anyone and everyone because they understood that rebuilding with God is God's work. Look at verse 11. It says, and, and their reply to us was, we are the servants of God in heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people uh, to Babylonia. Now, they understood something. And y'all, I think this is important for us to grasp because it seems really foreign to us. Our faith in America is a very individual faith, right? It just is. When I, when I talk about what God is stirring in you, it's real easy to say, okay, this is what God is stirring in me. Uh, the early church in ancient Israel didn't have that. They didn't have an individual faith. They had a collective faith. And so their answer to this question, what is God stirring in you, would be considered to be what is God stirring in us, that those two things were very, very connected. And not only were those things connected with the people that were in the room, they were connected to previous generations. Like what God is stirring in us now has to do with what has happened in the past. And so what we see them do here is something that's very foreign to us because they are confessing sins of previous generations. Now, for us, like I said, uh, it, it might be a little, a little too much. Like, do I really need to confess the sins of the, of the fathers? But see, the sins that their fathers had committed are the reason that they had to be out of the land of Israel to begin with. It's the reason the temple isn't there and they have to rebuild it to begin with. Because the the sins of the previous generation, God sent a pagan king to take them away so that they would learn to confess and repent of those sins. That sin has consequences. This is what they understood, that sin has consequences and those consequences can linger for generations. Particularly if they're unconfessed and unrepented of. Now, for us, that seems like a really big idea. And for us, it's really easy to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I need to confess the sins of my fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers? Well, let me give you a quick illustration as to why I think it's actually very helpful and beneficial for us to do that. 60 years plus ago, um, they, they had these things that they called insane asylums. Remember, have, have you heard of those or have you seen those in the comic books, particularly uh, Batman comic books loves to talk about the insane asylum where all the criminals go, right? Well, those were real, only without the supervillains, but, but they were real. And uh, that's where 
people would go if they were, if they were struggling with things that now today would just be considered mental illness. But one of the things that they noticed in an insane asylum is they had this, this test that they would give people to see if they had regained their sanity. And so the doctors would look at someone and say, hey, there's, a, there's, there's water on the floor in the janitor closet. Would you go grab a mop and clean it up? And so a person who regained their sanity would walk into the janitor's closet, see water on the floor, and they would see the faucet running and water coming out of the sink. And so what they would do is if a person had regained their sanity, they would walk in, they would turn off the water faucet, pull the plug out of the sink, let the water drain, and then clean up the water. A person who hadn't regained their sanity would walk in and start trying to clean up the water without turning off the faucet. I share that story to say that it's crazy to think that we can clean up a mess without identifying the problem that causes it. This is what calling the sins out of previous generations does. This is what calling sin out in your own life does. It allows you to put a flag on the faucet and say that is wrong and it has to change. And when that changes, I can begin to clean up the mess today. That's why, as an American church, we have, to, we have to step out of our individual worlds and we have to look to previous generations and realize that there are things that were done that it's helpful and beneficial and I think godly for us to label those as sin so that we can clean up the mess. Otherwise, we continue to clean up the mess and the faucet's running. Are y'all with me on that? And so for us, confessing the problems of previous generations help us deal with the lingering consequences of those previous generations' sin. And when we do, here's the beauty. It produces humility. Because it's one thing to admit our sin. It's another to admit that another person's sin actually impacts me. And this process of rebuilding with God, it's a path to more fully relying on a God who finishes the work that he starts. It means that rebuilding with God is humble work. That rebuilding with God is humble work. It takes humility to not only label our sin individually, but to label our sin as a church, to label the sin of previous generations. Because y'all, there's a lot going on that we call sin today that wasn't called sin 50 years ago. And we need to call it sin 50 years ago so that we can deal with the mess today. Let's look at verse 13. And, and, and let that simmer in your head because when we go to communion, we're gonna have a, a little bit of time to do that. Verse 13 um, says this. It says, however, in the first year, so this is still the letter, however, in the first year of of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. And the gold and the silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon and they were delivered to the one whose name is Sheshbazzar, whom he had made governor, and said to him, take these vessels and go put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. And then Shesbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been building. 
And it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for rebuilding the house of God in Jerusalem. And let the king send us, uh, send, send us his pleasure in this matter. And so, so here's what's happened. What in this letter these elders said is, first of all, we don't serve the Persian king, we serve God. And secondly, since we're talking about kings, the Persian king did say we could rebuild this. We have the truth on our side. And not only did he say we could rebuild it, he paid us to rebuild it. He sent us, he sent us back our, our, our possessions for this temple. You see, they had the truth on their side. And so the boldness to, to their answer, why are you building, rebuilding, wasn't just this positive feeling or caffeine high or the latest thing that they felt like they needed to do. It was based in their identity and their humility, and it was based in the truth. And so for y'all, for us, rebuilding with God has to be truthful work, right? We have to be people of truth. We can't twist the truth to make it look good, we have to be people of truth. And so with that, I want to pause and I actually want to take communion right here in the middle of our service. Because as we talk about truth and we talk about identity, we talk about humility and we talk about rebuilding with God, there's really no better time to pause and take communion. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or not. If you have said yes to Jesus at any age, if you had said yes to Jesus, then please uh, join us in communion. And if you haven't, just sit back and watch. Because this is, this is for those who have said yes to Jesus. Because before we see the work that God finishes here, I want us to be reminded of the work that God has done for us. Because it's in Jesus that we find uh, not only our salvation, it's in Jesus that we find the finished work of God, that our forgiveness is complete, that our salvation is complete, that our life is complete in Jesus. In Jesus, we see the complete redemption of sin. And that's what this juice and cracker represent. It's, it's what the bread and wine represent. If that's what you've got at home, communion is an invitation to say yes to this. And so listen, if you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, maybe today is the day that you can do that and this is your first offering uh, of worship in that. Because part of communion is a confession of sins. And in light of this passage, what I would love for you to do is, is we're gonna close our eyes for just a minute and I want you to consider what are the sins of your fathers? Like, what did you grow up with in your home? Kids, no elbows, think to yourself, right? What do you see in your home? What did you see in your home? That isn't what God would have for you. You see, the truth of our identity and the fuel to our repentance is Jesus. And Jesus was there and, 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 and Jesus has covered all of that. And so if what has happened in previous generations wasn't labeled as sin by them. It can be labeled as sin by us. Was there abuse in the home that you grew up in? Physical, mental, emotional. That's sin. Was there addiction? Was there apathy of spiritual truth? Was there racism? That was sin. Was there self-sufficient pride? Was there, was there adultery? What was in 
the previous generations. Yeah, was there, if you're from the south and you dig far enough, you will see that people were treated as property and it was called slavery. And that is sin. Because God's image is imprinted on every human and they are not property, they are people. And previous generations were comfortable with seeing people as property and that is sin. And so Jesus, we confess that, I confess that as being part of of my family line. All right, now, turn it to your soul. Is there pride in your soul that needs confession? Is there abuse? Is there addiction? Is there apathy of spiritual truth? Is there racism in some form? Is there, is there, is there pride? Is there adultery that needs to be confessed as sin? Well, we come to communion knowing that Jesus forgives. And his greatest joy is for us to to label that as sin, that's what confession is, and to turn to him instead, that's what repentance is. And so as we take this communion, may it be a reminder that Jesus is the fulfiller of those things that our heart is actually longing for. That instead of pride, there is worship. Instead of seeing ourselves as king, we worship King Jesus. Instead of division, there is unity. Instead of judgment, there is grace and mercy because those are the things that are found in Jesus. He is the judge and we are not. And so we take communion to remember that. And so if you will, if you will open up uh, the cup and take the bread. This is his body broken for us. And if you'll take the juice, this is his blood shed for us. Jesus, you are the forgiver of souls and you are the healer of lives. And I pray that you will do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look real quick and see the work that God started. Let's see him finish. We're going we're gonna to skip through a whole lot of, of, of chapter um, uh, 6, right? If you look in chapter 6, verse 7 is kind of the key of it. Verse 7 says this. Um, let's see, 6, 7. It says, let the, work on this, uh, let, the, let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. And so the king now says, oh, king, king, this king, previous king has said, let the work go. And so, so I'm going to let the work go. Let it go and don't let anybody stop it. Verse 8a right after that is really cool. Um, it says, moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders and Jews for the rebuilding of the house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue. So not only is this new king saying, yeah, they can rebuild. He's saying again, and we're going to pay for it. and We're going to pay for the laborers. And then in verse 15, if you jump down to there, 
It says, And the house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And so the work is finished. His, the, the, his decree, the king's decree, is for the work to continue. But that's not all. 25 years after the first people came to start the rebuilding, the temple was finished. And so not only was the work continued, it was finished. And after they finished, y'all, they partied. Right? There was a celebration. Look at verse 16. It says, And the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with, what is that word? With joy. There was joy in the work that God had completed us. Where previously we saw boldness. Now we see joy. You see, if doing the work of God starts with boldness, celebrating the work of God produces joy. And y'all, maybe the tiredness that we feel and that deep level of exhaustion that we feel is because there's actually joy waiting for us as we step into what God is stirring when we get back to rebuilding with God. You see, they were able to worship again. Jump back down to verse 22, all the way to the end of chapter 6. It says, And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with, what's the word again? Joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned their heart to the, and turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Now remember, at the end of chapter 4, we saw celebration and we saw weeping. And today we see joy. We see just celebration, the weeping has stopped because God finishes the work that God starts. The work that God starts is the work that God finishes, y'all. And so let me ask you, where do you need a fire lit under you today? Where do you need that fire starter, right? Can I be your fire starter? Because it's time to get back to the work of God. It's time to get back to working with God. And like Carol said, we have two services starting in June, right? We have no idea if that's gonna work, by the way, just so y'all know. We're trying it. We're going to see what happens, right? But to see what happens, it means there's a lot of opportunities for people to get back to work. But I don't want you to hear this as just a call to volunteers. Maybe it is time for you to get back to Jesus because he's the heart and soul of working with God. It's time to to come back. It's time to engage and it's time to join in the work of God with God and with us. And others are doing it. And let me tell you, they need your help. And so the question is, are you ready to leave comfort behind and get into what God is stirring? I hope so, because guess what? Even though this part is finished, the work still continues. We still got the rest of Ezra and the rest of Nehemiah. Right? God is still rebuilding. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. And um, we need you. We need you to, 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 to show us how to rebuild. We need you to, 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 to speak clearly to us so that we know what you're doing. And then we need the boldness to step out in faith even when we're not sure. Right? Because that is what faith is. It's, it's stepping out uh, with a really good idea of what you're doing. But we never know for sure. And so God, help us as a church to do that. 
Help us as a church be the people that, that, that follow you and, and, and represent your heart to this, to this community of Oakley and to, this, to, the, to the places where people that are watching online, to their communities, and ultimately to the world because that is where uh, your focus is. Because Jesus so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him that might have eternal life. And so, Father, we work with you in that. In Christ's name we pray, amen.